and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, because who else would I be? I have a fantastic guest for you guys here today, so much so that I'm not even going to do my normal intro. I'm just going to bring him right on the show as soon as that music stops playing. His uh, new album is coming out today. You can go grab it, check the links in the show notes, and uh, you're going to want to check this out. Not just if you're a fan of jazz or jazz fusion, but just if you want to hear some really beautiful cohesive music with a bunch of guys that just sound so good together. You're going to want to check it out. Here he is with his new album coming out today. Greg German. Greg, how are you? What's up, everybody? How's it going? I'm good. I'm speaking on behalf of the entire world. We are fine. Uh, <laughs> this is glad to hear that. the one day of the year that everyone's fine. <laughs> May 21st, baby. That's right. Yeah, today is a really exciting day because your album is coming out. This is your first one. You've been playing in a lot of shows. You've been playing other people's music for years at mm -hmm. great length, but now you're doing something on your own. How does it feel to have your own album out now? It feels amazing. Um, it, it probably the best. It probably is the best um, accomplishment I've I've done in my career up to my up to date. That's pretty sweet. I, I have released a couple of albums myself, and I know how it feels to put something out. It's uh, it's nerve wracking. You get excited, but you also get kind of nervous. And, you know, how are people going to perceive it? But the first one's the hardest because you don't know what lessons you're going to learn yet. Uh, what do you what what is something that you have learned along the, the process of doing this so far that you'll be able to take to your next project and go? I'm so glad this happened because I can avoid it next time. I don't know about avoiding, avoiding anything. Um, but I would say that uh, doing the record was probably the best lesson I've ever gotten. Um, just by the whole way that, that the way it came about. Um, so it's, it started back in 2014 where someone's uh, Clarence Penn actually pro uh, who produced the record um, suggested that I do the record to begin with. And I was kind of um, hesitant thinking, I don't know what I have to say right now, but uh, you know, um, you know, I was just trying to, I was, I was focused on just trying to get work and trying to figure out how to be in New York. And, you know, I had just come off the wicked tour. So I was trying to figure all that stuff out. Um, and then, um, later on, um, you know, you know, sometimes the universe just kind of like shows you signs. <laughs> um, and, uh, well, and, and Clarence originally said something to the line of, well, you should do one because how can anybody recommend you for anything if they don't know what you can do? And I, when I started like, meeting guys in town i the, the the light bulb started going off when people would say things like well do you have anything that i can hear you play on are you you know and i was i've always been on the road so on the road you're not really allowed to 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 videotape yourself playing or or you know um record yourself because it's illegal because it's copywritten material of somebody else so you know that was that was the first thing so like and i so then I went back out on tour and, you know, I was always doing film scoring and stuff. Um, and then I guess now about two and a half years ago, we got our uh, 
closing notice on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And around that time, I was looking on Instagram, and there's this amazing piano player named Eric Reed, who said something along the lines of, if you're not sure where you are in the music world, in the music business, put something of your own out there and see what happens. He says, what do you have to lose? You know, And it was sort of like, okay, well, Charlie's closing. Eric Reed just said this, you know, I don't, you know, it was also, I don't know what's, what I'm going to do next sort of in that vein. And then Clarence had also said, you should do a record like, you know, years ago. (laughs) All the elements are coming together. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but let me ask you something though, because actors can take footage from their films and, you know, acting like a film is copywritten, just like music is. And they can use that for private demo purposes. Like, obviously, you wouldn't put your show reel on YouTube, but uh, right. you could use that for private demo purposes. Are you not able to do even for that? I'm sure some people do. There are a few people that that actually do it. I just, why, why you know, if you get caught, why deal with the headache? Yeah. You know, I'm, I mean, I don't know. There's enough little things to me, like, playing little cabarets on YouTube or whatever that, you know, if they want to hear me play that instance of music, they, you know, I can do that. But also my resume should kind of speak for itself at this point, as far as doing a lot of those other kinds of gigs. The nice thing about, the thing about jazz is usually there are enough places that you can go, you know, if you know enough people, once you know enough people, you can, you can kind of prove yourself and sit in with people. And if people like you, then you can start, you know, it's, it's all about being heard. And, and being heard by the right people. It's just in musical theater and, and other gigs, you know, if you're going to suffer somebody, you know, unless you have, unless they hear you play or they're, they're, they know from like, you know, 10 other people that like, oh, this guy's a solid, would do a solid job for you. They're not necessarily going to give you the opportunity. True. So, but but I think I, I get what you're saying because if I were to look at your resume and see, okay, you did Wicked, you did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you did 500 shows of this, you were on this tour for a year. Obviously, you know what you're doing because you wouldn't a get those jobs after the first or second one. B, you wouldn't have lasted in any of those shows had you not been good enough because they're not going to keep somebody subpar on tour. Uh, that would seem to me something that would say, okay, I need to give you a chance. But yeah, at some point, I've got to hear if what you do would work for what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. Every Well, every show is its own universe. Like, if you play Wicked, um, you may not be right for Fiddler on the Roof. I mean, chances are it's still music. But, you know, if you play... Fiddler on the Roof, you may be, you may not be right for In the Heights or Hamilton or whatever. It's it's every show is its own little, uh, you know, every show almost has its own little language, especially from the drum chair. So so a lot of it has to do with that and like you know like, and also when you sub, it's 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 actually a little bit deeper than that because you have to sound exactly like the guy that you're subbing for. So like, you know, just because you did a tour of a show. Doesn't mean doesn't even mean that they were particularly happy with you. <laughs> that's that's true. They might have been stuck in in a position where they didn't have anybody that could replace you, and you were good enough to get through it. 
but not necessarily. But but then it goes back to you know your reputation, and you're not going to be getting show after show if that were the case. I mean, word gets around pretty quick, I would imagine. Sure. Well, I just mean like what what I'm saying. What I'm inferring is more like you know like the whole um, that whole uh, he's a he's a percussionist, but he happens to play drums. Yeah. Or, so and there's some guys that like on Broadway. It's like if you don't hit a certain with a certain kind of authority or certain oomph or whatever the word you want to use, you know, it, it's not going to be right for the show. It's not what the sound department is used to hearing. So, um, you know, so it's like, it's like navigating those kind of waters. That makes um, sense. Well, what do you think when, when people hear, and I'm not saying you and me, cause you and you and I are both you and me, I speak so well on the show. You and I are both drummers. Right. How do you think it's perceived by other people when they hear, well, the drummer's coming out with an album? I mean, my first thought would be, oh, it's probably going to be like half drum solo with a couple other people playing on it. And most drummers that come out with albums, they can be very melodic. They can be very well written. Uh, a lot of them aren't even drum heavy necessarily at all. What do you what do you think that per- the perception is for people who hear a drummer's got an album coming out? It's a great point. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It depends on the drummer, to be honest. Um, you know, because now it's a, it depends on who the, because who the musician is, um, you know, if it's Elvin Jones or Tony Williams or someone like that, you know, those guys are going to have a certain vibe to their record because they play a certain way. Um, and you know, other people, it, it all depends if you know if they're playing at all or yet or not, you know. Um, like Antonio Sanchez, like his playing, he has a lot of drum so, drum records and it's a lot of very chops oriented stuff, but it's still very, the writing's pretty cool. And uh, he, he uses a lot of like sounds, you know, Brian Blade has a bunch of records out. That's beautiful. It's, you wouldn't. I don't even know you'd call it jazz. Do you know what Brian Blade is? Brian Blade's a uh, drummer play with uh, Josh Redman. Oh, okay. And he played with Seal for a while too, but he's a, he's like one of like the top, you know, maybe top three young jazz drummers out there now. And even when he plays the cymbal, like he does this thing where he'll do like, he'll like jump up and hit the cymbal. And it's like, you feel this, this joy, you know, this exuberance that he, that just emits from him while he's playing. Um, but his his stuff is like he does stuff that's like almost like borderline country. He grew up like in rural Louisiana, so he has like this whole different vibe. And there's like saxophone and vocals and guitar, and it has a really unique orchestration. The Brian it's uh, Brian Blade Fellowship. Like so, that's like it's 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 too general a question almost in a way. Yeah, uh, it is. That that's true. Um, it's funny that, you know, you mentioned jumping up and hitting the symbol. I was thinking about, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I post it every once in a while when, you know, if I'm having like a tough day and I need a smile, but there's a, a couple of videos on YouTube labeled, uh, Korean drummer steals the show. Oh my God. Yes. I've seen that. Those are, those oh, are my, that guy is so amazing. It doesn't, I don't even care that he's not on time or that he's not even playing the same song that the rest of the band is he's just so happy to be there like just to be in that moment with people i love it well what's funny is like the rest of the band has like no idea what's going on behind them. <laughs> like we're uh, just going to keep at this tempo and maybe he'll catch up to us again 
Yeah, it's oh man, because it's funny because like the first one, he's like a really young guy, and the second one, he's he's a much older. Right. Yeah. He's like still like doing all this. Right. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> just reaching for things that aren't even there. And, and I have to wonder, like, part of me, because I'm so I'm so skeptical nowadays, like, was that done specifically to be a funny video? Did they film it like for that purpose or was somebody going, oh, my God, this guy's funny. I got to get this on tape. Probably a mix of, of everything. I mean, because that's how he plays. Yeah. You know, that's how that's his. You know, there's that other one too, like guys at the wrong gig or whatever. Oh, that guy, yeah, he was on an episode of The Office as as a drummer, right? It's because he just has all like the, he has all the choreography now, you know. Exactly, and see that kind of stuff. I don't know about you, but that really is not a turn on for me as a drummer. I don't like show like physical showmanship. I want to hear a good drummer. I don't care about stick spinning and you know. It's interesting that you know you could do that and still sound really good. But sure. for me, it's like, what else could you do if you weren't doing that? <laughs> you know, how much more could you put into your playing if you weren't trying to look cool? Yeah, well, well the one thing is, I, I I agree with you, but I also disagree with you. Okay. And while I will, I agree with you on the one hand, as far as, and it depends on what extent, you know, what extent you're doing all this stuff. Because there are certain things that sometimes us artists, we take ourselves so seriously that we forget it is entertainment. Yeah. It is entertainment at the end of the day. Like, you know, if, if seeing a drummer do like a crossover thing, you know, not necessarily like all this, but you know, you know, like um, Buddy Richard. And it's still within a musical context. It works. And I'm all for it because you're, you're maybe helping someone connect with, in the audience that maybe wasn't as engaged before. Right. You know, so on that level, it's cool. And then maybe you'd be, maybe you get a lifelong fan out of it. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like the showing off for showing off sake, no, that's stupid. Yeah. I I remember the last time I saw Alice Cooper play, uh, it was a great show. It was Edgar winter opened up and then Alice Cooper played a, a extended set and then deep purple played their set. Uh, just amazing here in here in Vegas. But what I what was the one turnoff for Alice Cooper for me is that anyone who's ever seen him, he's got an amazing stage show. You know, mm-hmm. you really feel like Alice is actually controlling everyone on the stage and they're doing his bidding. That's just how he presents it. It's really an amazing. It's almost like a puppet theater with with musicians. It's the strangest thing. But what I noticed was this particular drummer he was playing with on the tour was a fantastic drummer, very solid, played great. But there was, and he's up really high on a riser too. And almost like you don't even need to see him because what's going on on stage is where your focus should be. But he was doing a lot of that stick twirling stuff. And I'm like, that is so unnecessary in this particular show. You shouldn't be doing anything to detract from what's going on on the stage because that's where the magic is happening, you know, down on the main stage where Alice is. And it felt just a little like, hey, I'm here too, guys. And it didn't really enhance anything. It was just, you know, kind of like a, a, it almost felt like a cry for attention. 
They're just stealing your focus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it, with a show like that in particular, it's so theatrical, you just don't need to do that. You know, just play your part, be there, do your thing. Uh, but sure. he was a very good drummer. I'll give him, you know, absolute credit for that. Very talented guy. Um, but let's get back to your album because I'm, I'm really excited about this. You've, you've released a bit of footage to give people a little bit of taste of it, but now they can actually hear the, the whole thing in its entirety. Uh, I didn't really know what to expect when I first heard it. And thank you for sending me an advanced copy so I could check it out. Um, I didn't know where you were going to go, what direction, if it was really going to be a jazzy thing, maybe you were going to do something completely unexpected because you're such a talented film composer. And, uh, I was just I was just blown away. I, I very rarely say this about anything, but from the first note to the last note, I loved every drop of this album. Wow. Thank you very much. That's, that's high praise. That's pretty awesome. It, and, and I'm, I don't want to say I'm a picky listener because I think I'm pretty open-minded, but when mm -hmm. I hear something that stands out to me, it's, it's kind of noteworthy. Like it's hard for me to see beyond that thing that, that really stands out. And this album just flows so beautifully. It really feels like, you guys were just doing something spontaneous in the studio. So I wanted to ask you, you know, obviously you wrote the album, but you brought in some really talented guys. Well, I have to call them cats, right? Because if you're talking about jazz, you call them cats. It's uh, it, you brought in some really talented cats to play on this album. How much of it was really kind of free form versus you directing where to go? Because jazz does allow for that. Yeah. Um, well, most of the, the intro melodies and everything was all me writing it all out. And then, um, so you'd have like, you'd have like the, um, the initial theme or the, the, the melody of the song. Then you have a solo section and then you have like a, an outro or, you know, kind of like, a, I guess it's almost like Sonata Allegro form where you have like, you know, the exposition, then you have the development and the recapitulation. Right. So, <clears throat> You know, I, I sort of did that. Um, and now there's a couple that are a little different. For example, Rush Hour, that ba -da -da -da, ba -da -da -da, that's all written out. Mm -hmm. And then we, I actually had, I actually had it more through, through composed than what we actually did. Oh. But in the studio, we didn't have good sight lines to see each other. Oh. Yeah, there was a good, there was going to be a whole, um, like the the way the solo section is did. Da, 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 you know, there was going to be a whole thing where we were just going to kind of vamp on that. And then we were going to go to this 5-4 section. And then that would be another solo section after that for the other soloist. And then we'd go back to the head. And then we'd go back to this, like that second half of the song. Gotcha. That where it kind of settles, settles more. Mm -hmm. But actually, we got to the thing and we, we did like the first take. And it was like only the third song of the day. And we realized that like <laughs> between the mat where everyone wearing the masks and then the, the, all the doors and, and the, the windows, like Donnie was in, in, in front of me, Luis was over here and Yasushi was over here. So it was hard without anybody actually be able to conduct and say, okay, we're going to go into the next part. Um, so what we did was, Luis actually uh, just said, you know, guys, let's just open it up. So it is, we had the, bah, bah, and then Clarence was like, what if instead of having Donnie and Luis solo, we just have them sort of trade and then they all build off each other. And then eventually, um, 
we we uh, got to that point where we stopped, and then we uh, go back to the head. Wow. Go back to the melody, yeah. Well, see, that's the beauty of this style of music, though, is that you really can do something where you open up a section, everybody supports the other player while they're shining, and everybody's going to get their chance. So yeah. there's really no competition or jealousy. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, I'm going to back you up, you're going to back me up, and we have that trust, and, and we make it work. And maybe that's why the songs flow so well together, because you do have that trust with each other and you know, that, that confidence that you can play your parts, but you know, everyone else can too. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, honestly, most of the songs on the record are either one or two takes. Mm -hmm. Um, There's one that we did at the end. That's three. We did like three or three or four takes because honestly, it was the last song of the day. We were all going for it and we rushed a little bit. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's, that's totally understandable. But I you think know. if you, if you start doing more than I would say three takes after a while, you start overanalyzing, you're playing a little bit. What was that thing I did earlier? I want to do that again. And you start thinking it instead of feeling it. And sure. this is all about feel. Sure. I mean, there was some, there's some things that like I probably could have repunched in or whatever, but like, we thought the vibe was really good. So we just left it, you know? Yeah. Uh, like even the opening of rush hour, you can hear that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hit the drum and I hit the rim of the, the drum instead of actually hitting the drum, you know, it was a total accident, but you know what? Everything else came out so good and the energy is happening. So like, why, why mess with it? You know? Right. Well, I like the fact that you didn't do drum replacement. You know, I, I like the fact that everything that you did is really you on there and not, uh, patches of fixing and, and perfection. I think I love when things are human. You know, everything sure. now is so quantized and, and corrected in the studio. If your symbol is a little off, then they just move it over into position. And, you know, that's one of the things I like about 70s music is that when you listen to those bands, they are not 100% together. They're not playing to a click track. It was never edited. They just got really close and they left it. You know, I like right. it when it's I, human. I think we're too overproduced now. Yeah, actually, that was part of it. Um, that was one thing that Clarence said uh, when he produced it. He said, no click. Wow. No click. Okay. Play. We're just going to play because cats will feel too constricted if you have the click, especially with music like this. There's so, a big argument to be made for that. Was that awkward for you, though? Because you're used to playing with a click. It wasn't, it was initially second guessing, but then like everybody was so great. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the you key. Know? You know, you got to have people that know how to do the work. I mean, yeah. I mean, like for certain songs, it would have been nice to have the click maybe, but, mm-hmm. but then like everything came out great. So it, I didn't, I don't feel like we, we did a disservice by not having it. Oh, the no. only thing that, the only thing is like when, when I had to choose tracks, um, you know, because some, uh, something I learned sort of is that like different guys want to have different solos on each take. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you, for the final recording, like, you know, one of the guys was like, use my solo from take three, but not take two on this song. Right. He was very specific about this is the take you got to use. Mm-hmm. You know, Cause it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's also for that artist, that's his brand sure. or her brand. You know, so they were like, use this take on this thing. And it's like, well, I hope that's going to line up with the, you know. <laughs> well, that's well, the real problem, isn't it? 
because it, it, it click right yeah and if you're doing things that are a little spontaneous like maybe on take two you played it a certain way and then by take three you guys just switched and did something a little bit different and now that take two part doesn't really work with take three now you're really left with a challenge well that's what i mean so like you know without the click there's only so much you can do in post-production right um but that being said what you do is you well i guess what we did on some of it we just took the whole band from take three and just put that sure. into the thing you know if there's a space we just use that space into the you know on, on some of the stuff yeah on some of the I, I'm a little sad that you guys didn't have a better sight line. I mean, I'm sure mask wearing was not comfortable trying to to play this kind of music, especially because there's a lot going on. But that certainly would have added an extra challenge to you guys being able to cue each other and read each other. And, you know, when, when you're sure. playing music that has that spontaneity, sp- spontaneity. I, I'm OK to drive, I swear. Uh, yeah. it, it, it really, that's just an added challenge. Did the studio though, normally would it have been not really been a problem if, if it had been recorded under normal circumstances? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, part of it too was because of COVID there were extra, um, like the bass player had his own room, mm-hmm. piano player had his own room, the sax player had his, was in the big room, but there was like a wall in front of him. Like they put the, the like a, a barrier. So I don't know if the barrier would have been there had it not been for COVID. But for me, it was just hard to see through the glass and then through the other glass. Yeah. And, and you know, and then we also had a vocal, the vocal booth for some of the songs. Mm-hmm. So like there were times where they, they were nervous about having the vocalist and the, and the sax player play at the same time. So they had the sax overdub the solo, mm-hmm. you know, we play it as a rhythm section or whatever. And then have the sax overdub it or have the singer overdub it or, you know, whatever it was. Or, yeah. Um, you know, so that, that, that sort of made it a little, maybe a little more challenging in the COVID era. Right. You know, um, but I still think overall it came out pretty great. So, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I and, and I have to say, too, from a sound engineer's perspective, the album sounds fantastic. Everything is very clear. There's nothing that gets buried to where you can't really understand what's going on. Everybody's shining, even when they're not being featured. And I like that. I like when an album is mixed to where I can choose to listen to any particular person and really be able to hear what they're doing. It's not so common these days because people tend to turn up solos and, you know, this this is a very natural... It, it feels like I was in the room with you guys when you were doing it. And that's not something I usually feel. Oh, wow. That's, that's a huge cap to the, to the guy who mixed it. And that's great. Yeah, absolutely. He did. He did a great job. (laughs) Well, he would do the mastering. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. That probably had something to do with it too. Yeah. Those, those definitely go hand in hand. I mean, you can't master a bad mix and make it sound better. Yeah. I mean, the guy, the guy from bunker, um, I forgot his last name, but his name, I think his name is Andy. Uh, he was phenomenal. Yeah, he was so cool. And even the mixing session, you know, he was so uh, giving with his time and, and uh, helping us get the right sound. And, you know, and that's what's also was good about having the producer there, too, is that like initially, like the cymbals might have been a little bit lower than where. And then Clarence was like, no, make it's a drummer record. Make the cymbals higher. <laughs> you, know, you know, right. And, yeah. And it's even funny because I commented on 
after we, we mixed the ballad, I was like, wow, the brushes are kind of high in the mix. Though. He goes, yeah, it's a drummer record. I know, I know who I'm dealing with. I know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a, I employed a lot of drummers on this record because I, I, I gave Clarence uh, some work for the producing. Then I gave, um, you know, myself some work. And then uh, Nate Wood, who, who mastered it as well, is, a, is an amazing drummer. Oh, okay. So like, I, I employed a few few other drummers. So the, 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 the mixer was like, uh, yeah, I know who I'm working for here. So well, I know I know what to do. <laughs> like, okay, that's what experience tells you to do. I love it. But you know, it's interesting because when I listened to it, even the first time, I didn't feel like it was a drummer's album. I felt like it was just a good jazz fusion album. It didn't really seem to be that they pushed you up in the mix, that they that it was really a focal point to show you off. It really felt balanced. Well, thanks. I mean, that's that's the music. I mean, that, the thing the thing that I am most proud about the record is that we sound like a band, not, yeah. not that we sound, you know, not that I'm, Hey, I'm the drummer. And then there's everybody else, you know, like I'm not just playing drum solos over everybody. Right. Soloing and stuff. I'm, you know, I'm, 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 um, I'm active participant, but I'm not taking over. <laughs> well said. Yeah. See, I, that, and I think a lot of that has to do with the writing because you didn't write it to shine as a drummer. You wrote it yeah. to be a band album. I mean, my, a friend of mine actually, uh, who another one, another friend of mine who got the pre-release actually texted me and goes, man, eighth song and then the first drum solo? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I feel, I feel like even though there's not a lot of technically drum solos, because the interaction is so... Um, there's so much interaction in the first song that, uh, you know, you don't really miss it. Yeah. You know, that like we're, we're playing pretty aggressive. I mean, I don't know if, if that's one of the parts you'd want to listen to maybe a 30 seconds of like, not the opening track, but just some of the solo where we kind of build up, you know, with it, where Luis and Donnie are trading, I guess that would be about two and a half, three minutes in on rush hour on rush hour. Yeah. Yeah. We could do that. Um, you know, just just to, just to get an to get a sense of like what we're talking about as far as you know, just like they do a rhythm and then not we play rhythm back to each other. We're having it's very it's very conversational because yeah. it's so open. It's very it's more like a conversation more so than I'm playing and now you're playing. You know, that's the way that those other solo that's the way the solo started, but it didn't end. And then I mean, if you listen to it, they're they're building up. They're both playing. A lot of call and response and almost at the same time with each other. It's beautiful. 